Welcome to Heroes of Brand Protection Podcast, Episode 23. I'm your host, Daniel Shapiro, Vice President of Brand Relations at Redpoints, the world's fastest growing brand protection solution with a mission to make the internet safer for both brands and consumers. In this podcast, we'll share stories and industry insights from some of the leading experts in brand protection and anti-counterfeiting from many different industries. We are so happy you could join us today. And please check out all of our episodes on www.redpoints.com forward slash podcast. In this podcast, we will share stories and industry insights from some of the leading experts in brand protection, anti-counterfeiting from many different industries. Today, we are thrilled to be speaking with Paul May, Vice President of Creation and Production at USopoly. As a young boy, Paul wanted to play professional baseball. His bigger dream, though, was joining the US Marine Corps. He remembers having that goal as a 13-year-old boy, and by 18 years old, He was, in fact, a United States Marine. Following his career in the Marines, Paul entered into the commercial printing industry, where later, USopoly would become one of his clients. Join us in this podcast to learn how that has turned into a wonderful career journey for Paul. So, Paul, thank you very much for joining us today. We're thrilled to have you. To get started, I thought I'd ask you if you could just eat one food for the rest of your life, Paul. What, what would you choose to eat? Everybody that knows me would say I would answer hamburgers are my favorite food. I could eat them every day. Well, why is that? You're a huge hamburger nut? I just love hamburgers, yeah. And I go to different places here locally, and wherever I go when I'm traveling, I look for the best. That's my first Google is where's the best hamburger joint? to go to. We'll know who to ask when we need a recommendation. For sure. 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 <laughs> Tell us what you wanted to be when you grew up, or maybe if you're not officially grown up yet, what did you want to be when you grew up? I played baseball when I was young and I always wanted to play baseball, but I wasn't that good. I mean, I was I was decent, but I wasn't, wasn't great. And that was always a dream. But my big thing was being a, a Marine and joining the, the Marine Corps was my, was my dream. And at 13, I had decided that I was going to join the Marine Corps. I got real laser focused about doing that once I uh, made that decision. And when did you join the Marines? I joined the Marines in 1983. Right out of high school? Right. I was still in high school, joined on a buddy program with another friend. He ended up opting out and not going in. I ended up going forward and, and doing that. Awesome. And how many years did you serve in the Marines? A little over four years active duty. And then I did another three years on reserve and inactive reserve. Wow. Well, congratulations, and thank you for your service. It was a lot. I feel really privileged that I got the opportunity to do that. I I always thank people for my service, you know, like for letting me serve, because it was such a privilege for me to be able to do that. That's awesome. And how did you decide your path to where you are today? How did you get into this sort of business? What was your interesting path? Uh, This was an accident. More or less, you know, I I got out of the service and I was an infantry instructor and a combat instructor when I was in. I got off active duty in 1989-ish, something like that, 88. They weren't doing a lot of the civilian things, so I wasn't going to follow that. So anyway, my wife ran a boarding kennel for animals. And so I got out and I started doing dog grooming and just washing dogs and, and stuff. And then I worked at a pet store. And then I had a friend that owned a color prepress house. And I got a job with him as a 
like a, a night guy doing a graveyard shift, cleaning up, cleaning uh, film processors. And, and I got into the into like the pre-printing industry and then and then kind of migrated into the printing industry and ended up being a manager at a um, pre-press shop within a printing shop. USAopoly was one of, uh, they were just getting started. They were like a, since uh, 1994, they were just getting started. I was doing all of their pre-press work on the traditional side. We were doing film stripping and color separations and they needed an in-house. I was, I was their in-house guy in my shop doing all of their work. And I finally went to the owner and said, you could do this on your own. And he hired me sometime later after that. So that's how it began, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then how did you get into the, sort of this side of it a little bit where you took on the responsibility of, let's say, the brand protection, not only this sort of, it's a great story about how you got into this industry from being in the printing business to, you know, being in the business with USopoly. But how did then did you then progress into this career of whatever else your responsibilities are and doing brand protection? We wear a lot of hats here and I've been here a long time. And, and in the early days, there was only maybe eight of us when we got started. So I was in charge of all the creative work that we were doing, prepping the files and prepping the games to be produced, and then working with all the factories to do the production of the games. Now, in the beginning, we were doing everything here in the U.S., and the internet hadn't really taken off at all. So um, there wasn't that online shopping. I managed all of the manufacturing and production and got into more production, and some of it starting in China. We had a factory that used our tooling for one of our chess games and made their own version of a game that we did. And I discovered that by accident when we were at a uh, store up in UCLA area and saw a game of ours, but it wasn't ours, but it was definitely our tooling and noticed that that's where the, that fake had come into play. And I got interested in that and started doing my own investigations and then just the progression of being in production, it was, you know, the natural pieces, getting notified by the customers that we've got fake products out there from a customer service standpoint, and, and then trying to police that as best as we could. That's a great story. You know, I appreciate you being one of those people like myself who can talk about sort of retail business prior to the internet. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. that, that we run across a lot of people, but we, we both have that shared common experience. Tell us a little bit about, for those who are listening to you today, Paul, and may not be familiar with USopoly, maybe a little bit of background about the company in terms of what does USopoly do, where you're based, how many sure. employees, countries you're in. The company was started in 1994. It's a family-owned company. One of uh, The current owner is the, uh, the brother, uh, one of the brothers within that, that family dynamic. His sister started the company. She made a Monopoly game unauthorized by just wanted to make a game of La Jolla because it was her hometown that she lived in here in California. And it turned into a two-year licensing deal with Hasbro. Her dad went back there with her and, and they approached Hasbro and because uh, they wanted to, a cease and desist because it was basically not authorized. And it turned into an authorized edition of Monopoly along with a two-year contract. That's how it got started. And from that, that relationship grew and they released a bunch of other brands for us, Clue, Scrabble, Life, Risk, Yahtzee, Jenga, all those things. And we've made customized editions of all those games over the years and then some of our own IPs. Now we're, uh, we're based here in Southern California, still close to where it started. We've got about 75 employees, I think now. We call this our uh, world headquarters, but it is the only headquarter. 
<laughs> that's all right. That's a really sort of fascinating history of the company because on one hand, you started as an infringement. Oh, know? yeah, definitely. You were the guys you were trying to stop. And yeah. and then, you know, obviously, your owner, rather than sort of fight the fight of infringing, you know, to, to work with the brand, create a license, and built a very successful business. It's a really probably very unique story in the world of, of brand protection on how, how business gets to where they're getting to. Yeah. You were describing earlier in your description of how you got into this IP space, but how far along in the business were you when you started to see, like you mentioned, a board game being counterfeit? Was that in your first couple of years? Was it when did you start to spot that? The chess game happened around 1998, so it was pretty early in. And I had, in the printing industry too, I had, unbeknownst to myself, I was infringing on things because I worked for a printing company that would do a lot of art books, and they would take art books from Europe and bring them into the U.S. And I was a scanner operator and pre-press guy, so I was actually doing a lot of that work as a young guy, not realizing what I was getting into and kind of did some of that stuff. But I noticed on the printing that they had been using the same methodology that I had done in my previous life as an analog printer, making those books and things. And I noticed the print quality was not great. It was definitely a copy, and we were kind of able to pinpoint that. As the um, internet kind of took off in 2007, we noticed some of our really popular games, anything that was getting a lot of attention either on the internet or in the game space, those were the games that first got really pirated or infringed upon. And we noticed sure. those things. And that was probably about 13 years in, 2007. Very cool. And if you had to describe USopoly in one sentence, what would be the sentence that describes the company? We're a, a passionate group of game players, game makers, and game enthusiasts. Our goal is to exude the passion that we have for the things in our life onto the games and onto the licenses that we work with so that the end consumer can get that robust experience of gameplay, but also see the passion behind all those licenses that we have so that they don't, we don't want them to look like that we're overlaying a license on top of a license. We want it to be, we want people to look at the games and say, hey, that is a Harry Potter fan that's doing this particular game. So it's putting our passion and everything into those games that we make. Fantastic. So we say we make cool games with a twist, basically, is what we, cool. what we do. And when you think about your role as the vice president of creative and production, is there something you identify as one of the more challenging features of your role? Some of the biggest challenges I have is finding the right manufacturers for the games that we want to do, and then the materials that we want to we want to make those items with, and keeping those costs in check when we're doing those things. I manage a lot of people, so the beautiful part about the business is the people, and the challenging part about the business is the people. Yeah, never as easy as you think, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> you have people globally that you look after as well. Well, I do. We have a lot of people working here in, in the San Diego County area, but we do have people that work remotely outside throughout the country. And then we do coordinate with a lot of outside illustrators and, and game makers, inventors and whatnot that do live outside of the United States. So, and those, they can be from anywhere from the Nordic region to Europe to Latin America, all kinds of things. And what do you think, like, as you look at the world of brand protection, the part of the business that you got into a little bit later, but have been sort of in charge with the company and managing. What do you see as the sort of future? What, what, what do you think is going to happen as we continue to move down this e-commerce space? 
I feel like more partnerships are going to form between those of us that are making these items and the marketplaces that are selling those items. I think they're as concerned about our brands. What I'm noticing is they're as concerned about our brands as we are concerned about our brands. And they're putting more and more tools together to try and help us to keep that marketplace pure and clean and free of those bad players that may be out there. It's encouraging, especially going to the conference that we did earlier this month, seeing the partnerships that these marketplaces have with the brand owners and and trying to help them to keep things on the up and up. And when you think of like the risk of counterfeits, obviously sales, but is there like another risk? I was wondering with small parts, you guys obviously have to make them meet high level requirements, but I suppose counterfeit versions may be unsafe this you know if a child was nibbling or i don't know had something some part in their mouth or something that that they would supposed to nibble on your parts but. right <laughs> yeah we we've been fortunate because most of our items are eight and up so you know most of the people that are playing the games it's not meant to be a child's toy although we do fall into that toy category So our biggest concerns really are um, customer satisfaction, meaning that we want them to have a good, positive game experience every time they pick up one of our games. And that's, you know, our reputation is behind that whole piece. And the other side of that is safety. We test every SKU that we make individually so that we know the raw materials that are in the safety and we're following all this EPSIA guidelines as well as, uh, you know, the international guidelines for safety that are out there. But my concern would be that if people are buying these inexpensive products and and their knockoffs, just making sure that they've got safe product and that unsafe items aren't getting in the hands of people. Yeah, clearly. I mean, that's a serious issue. I suppose if they're using lead paint or something on these products that could be, you know, unsafe. Yeah. Sometimes people in our industry, when they think of people who are responsible for finding counterfeits, you know, or solving for brand protection, it sort of lump them all into this super serious, you know, is there something we should debunk about people who do this? You, you may not be a, an IP lawyer, like some of the ones who yeah. do this, but still you're responsible for brand protection. Is there something we should debunk? Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I fall into the categories of a lot of people that I've met within this arena. A lot of it is my own investigations, you know, just, just going and seeking and finding out things. I like to keep my eyes open and, and really pay attention to the marketplace and look out there, not just for my product, but look for, at others and, and see where potentially people are doing these, these counterfeit items. For us in general, the one thing I would debunk is, you know, I'm in a game company and, and we, we make games and, you know, there's um, my friends and family all think that my day is spent sitting around a table playing games all day. So the thing that I would debunk is it is not all fun and games. It, it is a job and it is work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're doing work. Yeah. Very good. So Sam Williams from Siemens was on our podcast before you, and she wanted to ask you a question, which was, if you were to go back two years ago, but with the knowledge you have now, would you be doing anything different in the world of intellectual property protection or brand protection? One thing I would do, it would have been to sign up with some of these partners that are helping us to identify who these players are, Red Points being one of those. I mean, I think I, I would have attempted or tried to sign on with that sooner. The other part of that is, again, we run pretty thin and there's a lot of people don't really pay attention to, people look at the brand infringement as a production issue. And so we don't always have a dedicated staff that deals with this whole piece. So I think I would have wanted to have dedicated staff that just did this looking around and 
keeping an eye on the marketplace and, and doing those things. I probably would have tried to start an intern program either with the local high school or with some of the local colleges to get some of these kids that would have been much better at me than me at doing these online investigations and going on the internet. I would have brought in more people probably. Well, that's a good segue because the next question I was going to ask you, which is what advice would you give to someone, a young person or someone who wants to pursue a career similar to yours or get in this space? What would be your general advice to a young person? My feeling is that we're all passionate about something. For us, we make collectible items that are games. And and I think if you can bring that passion into the workplace and apply it to whatever it is that you're working on, I think you'll be happier within that working environment. So my feeling is bring that passion. Don't just look at it as a job, but look at it as how can I put that passion that somebody has for that, in our case, for that particular license into that game so that they'll feel like they're being immersed you know, by somebody who's also interested. Uh, People who are passionate are certainly have a better chance and a better opportunity to be successful for sure. Yeah. Is there anybody who's inspired you during your career that you look up to or think about as you? When I was younger, there was a, there was a retired uh, Air Force Colonel named Jim Miller, much older than I was. I kind of looked at him as like a grandfather figure. He would do a lot of items, a lot of volunteer work in the community. And he would not ask me if I wanted to assist him with anything. He would tell me that I was going to assist him with everything. He kind of brought me along and just showed me different things. I also had a first sergeant when I was in the Marine Corps who always told me, keep moving so you can keep moving. And in other words, just don't don't sit still and don't ask anybody to do anything that you wouldn't do yourself. Yeah, those are good life principles. I like that. Yeah. Keep moving so you keep moving. That's <laughs> Yeah, I have a shirt that says that. It says, keep moving, yeah. so you can keep moving. It's yeah. a great phrase. I love it. <laughs> so, Paul, what would you like to ask our next guest of our podcast guest? What would you like to know from them? Given the current situation, I, I would want to know, uh, how's the current pandemic changed their working environment? And have they discovered advantages to being in this current environmental change that we're going through? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, how do you see that? You know, I've seen some people that we all get distracted at work and I've seen people that have been with that level of distraction removed from from their working environment. They have become model employees, just stellar, and they've been able to really focus on the jobs that they needed to do. And in that, they've found a real, they've rediscovered their passion about what they're doing and they've discovered a niche within the job that they're doing and they've excelled tremendously. And I've been really proud of them for doing that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's nice to hear. Well, I was going to ask you the four questions in 15-second round. Okay. You ready for this? <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Favorite music band or singer? Oh, uh, Ch- uh, Chase. When I was growing up, there was a, a band that was a big horn section, rock and roll, you know, kind of classic rock, but Chase. I'm not sure I'm familiar with it, but we'll go with they Chase. They sound a lot like bro- Blood, Sweat, and Tears is what they sound like, so yeah. Favorite book? Taipan by James Clavell. Very nice. When I started doing work in China, that was uh, the book that somebody told me to read. And it was fun walking around Hong Kong and seeing all the references to what was in that book. And then, well, I already asked you what your favorite food is. So then I'm going to go with the last one, which is, what's your go-to resource to sort of to keep you up to date in the world of brand protection? IACC has been really helpful for us. The SME toolkit that they just put out and being on that program has been really helpful. And frankly, Red Points in my time has been super, super helpful. Just keeping up to date with what's going on and, and the, the things that you guys put out has been 
been fantastic. And then a lot of uh, licensing periodicals that you can get into. Very good. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time. I think people are really going to enjoy hearing your story and learning about how you got to where you got to from a young kid. So thank you again for all of your time. I appreciate it, Daniel. Well, it was very interesting to learn about your journey, Paul, your insights in the brand protection space. And I would like to share with all of you a couple of key takeaways that I had from our conversation with Paul. Number one, USopoly is very clear. Customer satisfaction and safety is the biggest concern. Their fight against counterfeiting is to preserve their passion for their customers for high quality games to enjoy for years with your family, something USopoly is clearly known for. Number two, partnerships. Paul sees partnerships with platforms such as marketplaces and providers are critical for companies like USopoly. It's partnerships like this that make a difference for both brands and consumers. Number three, Paul shared some great advice from one of his military leaders who told him, keep on moving so you can keep moving. Paul has used this advice throughout his career, and I think, too, it sounds like great advice for all young people thinking about what to do next. Well, that's it for us today. If you liked what you heard, check out our next inspiring story from another hero of brand protection. You can follow us on all of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music, as well as Twitter and LinkedIn. Make it a good day.